Good morning, everyone. All right, there we go. Just see if you're awake. Welcome to Stonebridge. Thanks for coming out on a chilly day. I figure it's a family gathering, and I don't miss family gatherings when the sun's out. So here we are. So thanks for coming out. It's good. Um, I first just wanted to thank uh, those of you who serve in our D6 children's ministry. Um, I know a lot of them are serving right now. But uh, those of you that do, uh, thanks for giving up your Sundays um, in the service uh, pretty often. And I know that's a sacrifice. Um, so that doesn't have to do with much with what we're doing today. But I just wanted to thank you guys. It means a lot. Um, we're going to start a new series in 1 Corinthians. And we'll be going through that in the next few months. But, you know, this week I was... Um, I was scrolling around on the internet, and one of my favorite sites is IMDB, where you can find information about movies and uh, TV shows and whatnot. So I'm thinking it's the end of the year. I wonder what some of the top shows, top movies, according to IMDB, were this year. And so some of the top TV shows of 2017 that I recognize and have heard people talk about um, were Game of Thrones... This is us and the late show with Stephen Colbert. All right, now I'm more of a Jimmy Fallon type of guy, so I've actually never seen any of them. But I read about them and I've heard some things from some people. So um, here's here's what I know about these shows. I know they're dramatic. I know they push the envelope a little bit in some ways. They're a little racy and probably intriguing because of it. Okay. Now I'm. A disclaimer, I'm not condoning or condemning those shows in any way. I, I haven't seen them. I have no right to do that, right? But w- the reason I want to point them out is that they feature messy people with messy lives. That's, that's what I do know. Or in Stephen Colbert's case, he makes fun of messy people with messy lives. So um, if it's anything like Jimmy Fallon. But people are drawn to it because people are messy and have messy lives. Messy, sinful lives. And that's why all of us are in desperate need of a Savior to change us by the Holy Spirit daily. So my whole goal this morning isn't actually to start 1 Corinthians. We're going to start with the first verse of the first chapter next week. My whole goal this morning is to convince you this week to read the book of 1 Corinthians in one sitting. I'll get to one sitting in a little bit and why. But first, I just want to share the first reason. Here's why you should read 1 Corinthians in one sitting. It's set in a messed up city called Corinth, which is a lot like modern day America. It's set in a messed up city called Corinth, a lot like America. So I'll show you what I mean. It's a, it was a very prosperous place. Okay, It was located at... The crossroads of trade. So if we can throw up that uh, map there, I'll show you in a second. So um, basically what would happen is um, it, was, it was on this little, do we have that map, Melissa, or, or no? Okay, thank you. Awesome. So there we go. Perfect. So it's right here, and you can see both north and south, east and west, um, it was the center of trade. So this is modern-day Greece. You got... Athens over here. And so if you want to get anything from here to here uh, by land, you have to go through Corinth. If you want to go from here to here without going all the way around, you got to go through Corinth. 
So it was the center of trade, so it was a very prosperous place. And it had a trade population. So as you can imagine, people would stay a couple days and then leave. And it was kind of a melting pot of races. So there was Jews, there was Greeks, there was Romans, all sorts of races, which led to a lot of racism and a lot of oppression of the poor. Now, it was also a cultural center. It drew artists, philosophers, religions of all sorts. It hosted the Isthmian Games, which is kind of like the second tier, more like the minor league of the Olympic Games that were in Athens, but they had the Isthmian Games. Um, So it was a cultural center in a lot of ways. And so Corinth could be, it could be said of Corinth that it's like a megaphone because of the trade, because of this cultural center, this trade hub. It's a megaphone to the rest of the known world. So ideas traveled fast when they were shared in Corinth. And that's why Paul planted a church in Corinth. He knew that. And God knew that. That's why God led him there. And usually the loudest, most impressive voices were heard in Corinth. Truth was up for debate in Corinth. Now, here's, here's what's wrong with Corinth. It was really morally corrupt. So there was this term called Corinthianize, okay? And that basically meant sexual misconduct. Now, a couple, a couple hundred years before Paul wrote this letter to Corinth and before he planted this church, it um, was known for temple prostitutes. So it's, it's said that over a 1,000 temple prostitutes would come down every night and do their business. And that's where the term Corinthianize came. Now, that wasn't going on to that degree when Paul wrote this letter, but you better believe it was still pretty sexually promiscuous. Uh, also, there was around 26 sacred places for several gods and religions in Corinth. There was the temple to Aphrodite, um, who was the goddess of love, where the temple prostitutes were. And that still went on a little bit. Um, But there was also a lot of other religions and places of worship in Corinth. So you should read the book of 1 Corinthians because it's a messed up place. Okay? We like reading about messed up situations. But more than that, we should read it because there are a lot of parallels to America today. A lot of the things I just said are true about America today. So there's a lot that we can learn as well. Why else should you read 1 Corinthians? Well, it was written to a messed up town, but it was also written to a messed up church in a messed up town. A lot like the American church today. But here is the problem behind the problem in the Corinthian church. Dualism. Dualism. So what that means is these believers in this church said, you know what, spiritually I'm good to go. I'm saved. My sins are taken care of. I'm going to heaven. I'm good spiritually. So with my physical body, I can do whatever I want. doesn't matter. All that matters is that spiritually I'm saved. Now the American church is notorious for this. Even our church, if we're honest, right? We come well dressed and we're very kind to each other at church. Um, and then we can very easily go home and then just be a jerk to our family. Anyone guilty of that? I, I've, I have done that. See, we do this in all sorts of ways. 
we're actually pretty dualistic by, by nature because of sin. But here's, that's kind of the problem behind the problem. But here was the main problem. And I think Gordon Fee, who's a theologian, said it the best. He said the church, the problem is not that the church was in Corinth. It's that too much of Corinth was in the church. He says a number of attitudes and behaviors that required surgery were in the Corinthian church. But they required surgery without killing the patient. And so that's what Paul's trying to do when he's writing this letter. He's trying to do a little spiritual surgery on the Corinthians, but without killing the patient, in, with grace and in love. And so we're going to see that as, as we walk through it. But I want to I point out what was so corrupt about this church. So the first thing in chapters 1 through 4 is that there's a bunch of divisions, okay? Basically, they had Christian celebrity syndrome. So Paul planted the church, then this other guy came along, Apollos, who was sharing the gospel, teaching the same thing Paul was, but he was a little more eloquent, okay? People like to listen to him a lot more than they like to listen to Paul. He was more flashy, you know, so they're like, I'm, a, I'm an Apollos guy. And then other people are like, no, Paul planted this, I'm a Paul guy. And then other people, they, they would kind of deify them and, and make, no, I'm, I'm a uh, 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 this person guy. Now, it sounds a little bit like American church. I, I'm a John Piper guy. I really like John Piper. I like Matt Chandler. He, you know, he just really brings the word. I, I'm a Jeff Dodge type of guy. I'm a Troy Nesbitt type of guy. I'm, I'm, I'm a Joey Weber type of person, okay, which I don't blame, you know, and I'm a Matt person. Yeah, I don't. But, but here, here's... Here's, here's what's, what's interesting. The reason we actually have Joey and I preaching the same amount up here is to fight against Christian celebrity syndrome. We desire that not just in our preaching but in our leadership that Jesus be the focus at Stonebridge Church. That God's word, what Jesus says would be, sorry, that what Jesus said would be the focus at Stonebridge Church. Not what Matt says, not what Joey says, not what anybody else says. Because Jesus is the head of our church. He's the head of our family. We're frail men who are in desperate need of a savior. But this is what's going on. This is what's going on. They're making much of one person, another, and it's really individualistic. Their church was very individualistic. I like that person. No, I like that person. Sound like our culture at all? And they valued style over content, clearly, because they were saying, you know what? I don't know about you, Paul. We didn't really like listening to you, but what you said was good. They valued style. Apollos was this flashy dude. You know, it was like, oh, wow. When they were both sharing the gospel and was creating division. What else is messed up about this church? Chapters 5 through 7, sexual misconduct. misconduct. We'll get into this in depth when we get there. But here's what was crazy. There was incest going on in the church. 
But not just that. The church knew about it. The church leadership knew about it. And they put a stamp on it and said, yeah, that's fine. It's a pretty messed up place, the Corinthian church. They're like, you know what? What happens in the bedroom stays in the bedroom. Who cares? Chapters 8 through 10, we see a lot of self-centeredness. Okay, and we're going to talk a lot about that when we get there, about eating food sacrificed to idols. But I just wanted to explain what's going on there real quickly in layman's terms, um, it, like if it was happening today. So basically, they had no regard for where they were eating meat. So what would happen is they would, they would sacrifice animals to gods that weren't God. Right, And what would happen is sometimes they would hold feasts or barbecues. So they'd be like, come on over to our barbecue. We're celebrating Aphrodite. It's going to be awesome. And so uh, Joe Christian from the Corinthian church would be like, hey, I love barbecue. You know, I'm, I'm getting me some pulled pork sandwich here today. So they, they come and they're, they're, they're eating and it's, they're like, they don't think it's a big deal. And Paul tells them, hey, you know what? You're being really self-centered because in participating in that, You're worshiping an idol. But it didn't stop there. Because after they would do their barbecue, okay, or after they would do their sacrifices, they would often sell the leftover meat out back, okay, in a little butcher shop out back. So it was cheap and it was great meat. And so there, it's not like come and worship Aphrodite. It's like, no, let's let's just go and, and buy some meat. And so some Christians were doing that, and that, and that was totally fine. And Paul says, hey, that's totally fine. But the, the issue was that some of them were doing it, even though their friends who were Christians were saying, you know what, I used to worship Aphrodite, and that, that's a little too far. And that makes me actually get tempted a little bit, maybe even to go worship Aphrodite again. And the, the, these guys are over here like, no, it's cheap, free meat. I want my New York strip. I'm, I'm going to get it. And, the, and Paul's saying, you know what? You're being self-centered. And essentially, he says, you know what? You guys need to love each other and love God in either of those situations. And you're not doing it. All you care about is your belly. Chapters 11 through 14, we have them being obsessed with an emotional experience at church. More or less. So they're saying spiritual gifts, you know what, I'm going to use them however I want. And I'm going to use them selfishly and out of control and it's not going to be a big deal. It's not a big deal. When Paul says, you know what, these are actually meant to build each other up and you're using it selfishly. These are meant to, to encourage other people in the church. It would be like if, if 10 people came today with a sermon ready to preach. And got up here after Sheen was done with worship and said, hey, here we go. You know, and, and all ten of us tried to preach at the same time. You better believe that would be pretty chaotic. Or if 12 people came up to lead worship, you know, and it's like, what is going on? That, that sort of thing was going on in the Corinthian church. There was disorder. It was chaos. It was distracting, as you could imagine. And they weren't focused on building up each other. They just wanted to exercise their gift. Often at the expense of each other. 
Just give me my Jesus high today, my high-octane experience at church. So the Corinthian church was chronically hypocritical, divisive, sexually immoral, self-centered, and emotionally driven. And this is the family of God. That is who Paul is writing to. And I'm sure he's thinking, I planted that. But before we get too judgmental, doesn't that sound an awful lot like us at times? Maybe not to the degree of some of these things, but isn't that us, self-centered, hypocritical, divisive, emotionally driven, instead of driven by the truth. So it's messed up, much like America and the church. And you might be saying, okay, well, why do I need to read 1 Corinthians to get that? I have it all around me. I could just watch Days of Our Lives. Is that still on? Not, not sure. But you get the idea. Well, here's some really practical reasons, and then I want to get into the text itself and share some reasons from 1 Corinthians that you should read it. Practical reasons, it's God's word. This is God speaking. Okay, so if, you, if you're following Jesus and you don't want to hear God speak, there's, there's probably a heart problem going on there. And even if you don't follow Jesus, and you're just hearing me today going, you know what, that's God speaking, I'd at least be a little intrigued. Oh, wow, that guy claims that that is God speaking. Check it out for yourself. Second reason, it's meant to be read all at once. It was a letter. The chapter and verse breaks were added later. So the church literally would get together and read that letter from Paul in Corinth. All the way through in one sitting. Now, technology can really help us. You actually have no excuse. Okay, because my Bible app reads it to me. In several different translations. Pick your translation. We use the English Standard Version, which is a great faithful version to the text. But there's a lot of other great versions that you can have read to you audibly. You can do it on the go. Uh, the Bible Project, which I've mentioned before, has a great video explaining Corinthians to help you before you get into it or maybe even while you're in it. And I'm going to post that on Facebook later today on our Facebook page so you can check that out. So technology gives us no excuse. But what about time? I don't have time to do that, Matt. Really. Here's what I believe firmly. You make time for what's important. You do. You do it all the time. You make time for what's important. I don't buy the excuse that you don't have time. Okay? You're talking to someone who was helping plant a church here, have two young kids and a wife, and do seminary at the same time. I've been there. I know what it means to be busy. But I still made time for what was important to me. I had time for my kids. I had time for Netflix every once in a while. So... Even if you feel like you don't have time, even after my little lecture on that just now, 
it takes 58 minutes to have it read to you. It takes 44 minutes to have it read to you in 1.5 times speed, which is like a road trip to Ames and back. And I did it this morning while my kids were watching a TV show. It can be done pretty easily. If you can handle two times speed, which I can't because I'm a little slow, but a lot of you probably can, um, it only takes 29 minutes, and that's like one episode of most shows. Some are twice that long. Okay, there's my practical reasons. But Paul doesn't just show up to a jacked up town and a jacked up church, write them a letter, and say good luck. He gives them direction and he gives them motivation for living for Jesus in the middle of that mess. So why should you read 1 Corinthians in one sitting, in one setting? Fuel. So you can receive fuel to display God in the mess. Fuel to display God in the mess. And as you read it, I want you to look for that fuel. Because Paul doesn't just say, hey, be a good display of God. No, he gives you real fuel to be able to do that. Motivation to be able to do that. And I want to show you these things this morning. But let me talk about what it means to display what does it mean to display something? So let me, let me show you an example. Let's say they put white t-shirts on a mannequin at JCPenney. Why they would do that, I don't know. White t-shirts kind of sell themselves. Just run with me for a second. I didn't want to ruin any of my good clothes. Okay. So let's imagine this one's on the mannequin. All right. It's got some pit stains that may or may not be from me. It's got, my children got a hold of it. And drew something on it. There's some holes in it. Okay, what if they put that on the mannequin, on the display, and you walked into J.C. Penney? You would think that J.C. Penney doesn't give a rip about its customers. You would think that J.C. Penney doesn't really care about their merchandise, and you probably would not buy anything from J.C. Penney. But if you had this one up there, you might buy it if you're looking for a white T-shirt. Okay. How is the Corinthian church displaying God? The Corinthian church, as I just showed you, was displaying God like this. What does that say about God? It says that God doesn't care. Why would you want to have anything to do with God if that is what he's like? And that's us. That's the church. We are called. Be like this. We're called to display God's holiness, God's love, and his goodness to a dying world. So let's go to 1 Corinthians, finally. And let's go to chapter 3. First Corinthians three, sixteen and seventeen, I'll be reading. Three sixteen. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, 
For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. We are called to display God's holiness. That's what we find in this verse. What is holiness? God, holiness means that God is untainted by sin. So it's not just that he doesn't sin. It's that he is untainted by sin. And it also means that he's set apart. God is totally not us. Because he is God. He is holy. And it says here that we are God's temple. Remember I said there's, there's 26 or so different places of worship in Corinth? Well, Paul is saying, you know what? Don't worry about your church building. Worry more about you. Because the church is the people. Stonebridge Church is not this building. Stonebridge Church is us, the people, sitting here. And so Paul is saying, be a temple of God. You are a temple of God. And you're certainly not sinless like God, but are you increasingly sinning less? I mean, is, is the shirt being changed? So when people look at you, they see God. When people see your words, hear your words, see your actions and responses to things, do they see God? Yes, it's through a broken lens. Yes, we're not going to be perfect. But does it resemble God? See, we're called to display God's holiness. And then we're called to display his love. So when others are causing disunity, like what's going on in Corinth, are we fighting for unity because God is one? Are we displaying God? When others are self-centered and self-focused, do we become God-centered? And therefore, others focused. When others are selfishly seeking an emotional high in the church, are we setting a pace by loving others in practical ways in everyday life? That's what he calls us to do in 13, right? The famous love chapter, marriage ceremony chapter. Without love, you're just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. How do we do that? That seems like an impossible task to display God. And that's where it was left for me growing up. My experience, by and large, with the church and with Christianity and even reading the Bible, because I didn't, I, I didn't have eyes to see this at the time, was... Wear your WWJD bracelet, okay? What would Jesus do? And then do your best to do what Jesus would do and try really hard at it to display God. Now, what happened to me is that I got burnt out. And this can still happen to me sometimes and can still happen to all of us. It's kind of like trying to fill up your unleaded vehicle, your unleaded car with diesel fuel, okay? It'll work for a little bit. So I hear, I've never done that. I've done some other stupid things with cars, but I've never done that one. Um, it'll still run for a little bit, but slowly it'll mess up your vehicle if you don't do anything about it. 
So if you just try really hard at displaying God and obey him and love him and love others, you'll probably end up, end up burnt out, heartless, and your motives will probably be out of whack. So several times in my life, I get to this point because I'm so focused on me. I'm so focused on my works, on me looking good, on getting the display right for others to see that I forgot that the work that was already done for me. So let's look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And he gives us two main gospel fuels throughout the book of 1 Corinthians. So I want you to remember these and look for them as you read them this week. The gospel fuel number one to display God is to be humbled by his death. Chapter 2. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So Paul is describing coming to plant this church in Corinth. And you heard all about Corinth. So you can imagine why he would be trembling and afraid to plant a church in that town. It would be really difficult. And he says to them, I only told you the humbling truth of the crucifixion of Jesus. About his humble birth that we just celebrated at Christmas. About this humble looking dude, Jesus. We read in Isaiah 53 that he was actually a pretty ugly dude. Okay, all the pictures have him, blonde hair, blue eyes, maybe not blonde hair, long hair, blue eyes. It says he wasn't much to look at in Isaiah 53. Humble looking dude who had some humble followers who were fishermen, tax collectors, rough guys. And then, to top it all off, had a humiliating death, crucifixion. And, and you know, the Corinthians at this time of this letter didn't think of cross necklaces like we do when we think of the crucifixion. Okay, nice little cross necklace, a cross tattoo. It's a cool symbol. It would actually be more like if you came to church today with an electric chair necklace or an electric chair on your bicep. You'd be like, what is that? You are messed up. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it's like. See, we need to be humbled by the death of Jesus. Not go, oh, that's a cool symbol. No, Jesus was crucified. That should humble us over and over. We need to remember the simple, humble death of Jesus for us. That will give you the unleaded gasoline you need to display God. What other rational response is there, right? When we, when we behold and think on and dwell on the cross of Jesus Christ. What other response is there than to obey him? He did that for me. As messed up as I am, a lot like the Corinthians. What can I do? What else could I do but love him today? 
And we need to encounter this over and over. And the gospel fuel number two is we need to be empowered by his resurrection. So if you'd go to the end of the book with me, to chapter 15. He bookends it and then weaves it in there, the gospel, through the whole thing. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand. Verse 2, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Paul's saying, you know what? Jesus is alive. Death is defeated. So if Christ is alive, that is the kind of power that's in you. God raised Jesus from the dead. What kind of power would it take to raise someone from the dead? Paul's saying, that is what's in you who believe. Resurrection power. If Jesus is alive, that is in you. Let that fuel you to obey him. Let that empower you to obey him. But it's not just Christ's resurrection. Because of Christ's resurrection, we get our future resurrection as well. So if you jump down to verse 20, chapter 15, verse 20, it says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So that's saying, okay, Christ was raised from the dead first. He was the first person to be raised from the dead and not stay and, and, and stay alive. Lazarus raised from the dead. He still ended up dying. Christ raised from the dead and stayed alive. And he's saying he's the first fruits. He's the first one to have done that. But then jump down to verse 23. But each in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, he was the first one. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. If you belong to Jesus today, here's what can and should fuel you to obey him and to display him. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead and because of that, you are going to get a brand new body. This bag of bones is going to be awesome. So regardless of how you feel about your body here right now, when you get into heaven, you can get a brand new body. This body is going to be perfected. So guess what? We need to be great stewards of our body right now. And that's what Paul says throughout this book. So he's not just reminding them of the gospel. He's not just doing it at the beginning of the book. He's doing it at the end of the book, and he does it throughout the book and weaves it in there. Tim Keller says this. I love this. He says, the gospel is not just the ABCs, but the A through Z of Christianity. The gospel is not just the minimum required doctrine necessary to enter the kingdom, but the way we make progress in the kingdom. So as you read this book this week, look for those two fuels over and over. Chapter 6, it's really explicit and evident, but it's weaved in there throughout. Look for the, where Paul says, yes, 
you need to stop this sexual misconduct. Yes, you need to stop being disunified. Yes, but here's how you do it. You, you be humbled once again. Every day be humbled by the fact that Jesus died on a cross for me. And be empowered by the fact that he rose from the dead. And therefore I am going to raise from the dead. So I have hope. So I urge you, I beg you to start 2018 hearing straight from God through 1 Corinthians. What better way to start the new year than to hear from God? Let's pray. God, I pray that people would not just read 1 Corinthians this week, but they would read it and realize, wow, this is God speaking. Like, yes, I maybe knew that cognitively, but they would experience that this is God speaking to me as I'm reading this. And because of it, our lives would be changed. God, thank you for the cross. Help us now, even as we sing, to be humbled by your death and empowered by your resurrection, Lord Jesus. Pray this in your powerful, wonderful name. Amen.